Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. We've made a lot of jokes. We've said a lot of serious things, but it is evident the type of father you are. Mm -hmm. What has been the biggest challenge of parenting for you? Yeah, the biggest challenge um, is being a 35-year-old Black man in in the United States, uh, specifically here in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and not knowing that I, not guaranteeing that I can make it home. Hi, I'm Miss Danielle, and this is Help a Human Out, Episode 3 of Black Story Month. Last week, we talked with Tanisha Nicole about microaggressions. It was an incredible episode, and if you haven't yet, I'm going to encourage you to go listen and learn. It's just the tip of the iceberg of what Black women experience. Today, we're going to talk about family, what it was like growing up Black, and what it's like raising Black babies. You see, understanding how people were raised and where people were raised is important because how can we really understand someone's culture without delving into those things? We are all products of our experiences and our environments, good, bad, and everything in between. And some of us, hello, are trying to break generational curses. We are going to get into all of that. Here to take a trip down memory lane with me today is Jesse Ross, executive director of Still Kickin', diversity and inclusion leader, international speaker, friend of mine, very good friend of mine, he's like my brother, since we were kids growing up in North Minneapolis. However, the thing that Jesse is proudest of is being a father. With all that, let's get into talking about how Jesse became the father that he is. Okay, Jesse, tell us about growing up. I want to know about how you grew up, who you grew up with. Uh, what did you learn about your upbringing? I want to hear about your black boy joy and your black boy pain. I want it all. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> uh, so I was born in Jackson, Mississippi. My mother came to Minnesota uh, when I was very young. I don't even remember. I was a baby. <clears throat> and then my dad shortly followed. And I, all, I, all I remember about growing up was I had a happy childhood. So on my mother's side, it was just me. And I was her only child, her only baby. And she did everything that single moms do. Cook clean, took me to sports, all the different things. Uh, my dad moved to Minnesota when I was a baby at some point. They were never married. Um, but I was the second youngest of his uh, nine kids. So tons of, yeah, tons of, tons of us. Um, <laughs> and, and we didn't grow up together. I will say uh, my younger brother came around, um, uh, he came around like later, of course, but in general, it was just me and my mom, my pops was around, but not really around. That's kind of the story that I tell people all the time. All I knew was my mom did everything in community. And so when people ask, you know, have I always been a social person or known tons of people? I was the kid under the meetings, like under the tables, when she was like meeting with former Mayor Sharon Shells Belton and all these different leaders and civic leaders. She employed folks in Minneapolis. So she got people jobs, firefighters, Nabisco, everywhere. And that was just what she did. Yeah, it was it was awesome. <clears throat> so coming into that, um, again, my dad, he he worked on uh he was a welder by trade, um, always had a couple side hustles. But because they had kind of a random relationship, um, the most that I remember about my father as a kid was I was always, you know, sitting outside waiting on him to, to come around. And sometimes he did and sometimes he didn't. But my mom got pissed off. She was like, you need to go to your dad's house. And uh, at the time, again, I think my dad was just, I, I know my dad was just trying to figure it out. Yeah. But he Wait, do you, do you know that now, Jesse? Did you know that back then? Because I feel like as kids, you know, no. I, I, I lost my father uh, recently, you know that. And mm -hmm. 
what I'm finding now is that, you know, back then I was always so mad and and so angry because I wanted him to be the father that I I wanted and that I thought like all kids deserved, right? Right, right. And what I'm realizing now, um, perspective is everything and retrospect is very crazy, is that, you know, my dad had a lot of trauma too. He was a kid when he had kids. He didn't, there were all these things that, as a kid, you don't think about, like those things never crossed my mind. And so I wonder while you were sitting there and you said, sometimes, you know, you were waiting on him. Sometimes he showed up and sometimes he did it. And you, you, right afterwards, you said, you know, I know now, right. But I want to like back yeah. then you couldn't have known, right? No, not at all. To, at that time it's like, yo, you show up or you didn't. And if you didn't, that meant you didn't care about me. Right. That's not exactly, I'm sure that's not what he meant, but he was trying to figure it out. Like you said, dealing with a lot of trauma. I'm, I'm, I'm going to guess um, preoccupied with trying to figure out how to survive, how to make money. Uh, he was, I mean, technically he was still in the streets, right? He always had a job, but he was um, hanging out with the cats you probably shouldn't have been hanging out with. And him and my uncle were Jesse James. So they lived up to that kind of dynamic duo yep. <laughs> name. And uh, they were just, you know, doing what they were taught, right? So as I know, I know that my dad finished school uh, high school and then went straight to the military, him and my, him and my, uh, my uncle. So they were just trying to get out of Mississippi. And so being that, you know, they w- went into war basically and all they knew was fighting and drugs, right? And back in the day when, when black men were there, that's all they knew. And they were taught all you got to do is survive. They weren't taught what is thriving, yes. what is stability look like. And so absolutely, he was just trying to figure it out. As parents, we don't always dive into like, here's what I was like growing up and here's what I had right. to do with also. So I would say the 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 present of what I remember of my mom, she created this loving, nurturing um, environment where, you know, I, she always asked me how my day was. I, it couldn't be, a, you know, a good, it was okay. It was like, you got to tell the story. And she did everything in her power. And I knew that. She was doing everything in her power to teach me everything that I needed to know um, before she passed away. My mom passed away when I was 11 years old. On my dad's side, from what I remembered, it was just like, here are the things that you do. I'm trying to teach you how to be a man. And it wasn't that, again, it wasn't that he didn't love me, but he wasn't as physical or as, as you know, he didn't show it as much in the, in the emotion of it. There was like, hey, we watch uh, wrestling or boxing or these different things. And we definitely like played basketball and catch and all those things. But it just wasn't the same because you had two different people, uh, two different genders trying to figure two out how to Two different ideologies. Navigate. Yeah. Well, and they, were, they grew up the same. But, but like you said, ideologies of how you survive in, in, that, in that sense. And the other thing is, is like, you know, one of the things you said, which I found interesting, is said, you know, your dad was really um, passionate about showing you how to be a man. But when we think about that, the way our dads were raised and right. what being a man meant <laughs> exactly. isn't exactly like what, how we see men. You know, it, it, it's a lot. There's a lot of toxic masculinity in that, yep. in the way our dads were raised. And so, you know, when we think about our parents and the things that they passed on to us, not all of it was great. <laughs> exactly, right. <laughs> so yeah, we have I, to really decipher. Yeah, I tell people all the time, I actually learned a lot of what to do by what not to do versus like somebody guiding me to, oh yeah, you should do this, you should do that. Like I picked that stuff up along the way, but I did watch a ton of you know mistakes and a ton of things that my dad did that I was like, I don't know if that's the right way, so I might not, I'm not going to do that. Now again, later on, there were things that ingrained, like that he ingrained in me that he was modeling that he never actually said, this is how you go to work, right? Yeah, this he, is he how didn't explicitly, you- mo- like he didn't explicitly say it, but he was modeling it for exactly. you. Exactly, yeah. Right, yep. okay. My, my dad was a uh, a man of, of, of less words in a, a strong fist. <laughs> and a, and a, Ditto. A strong, yeah. <laughs> I think about, um, you know, that that was something for me, too. It was like my dad, he, it was a lot of do um, as I say, not as I do. <laughs> I remember um, seeing my dad do things and then I'd be like, oh, OK. And then he'd be like, no, you can't do that. You know, and it was a lot of like, you're going to do what I say and not necessarily what I do. And so my dad lacked a lot of uh, that modeling. Right. Um 
And now I realize, though, is my dad had this huge, giant, boisterous laugh that could fill up a room. And what one of the things that I didn't realize he was teaching me um, with his laughter and the things that he found joy in was joy in general, right? My dad would laugh at everything. He would find a way to make anything funny. And I realize now that that was a part of his survival, right? Yeah. Like, yep. and, and at the time, obviously, as a kid, I was just like, man, he's a mess. He's just, <laughs> you know, like, what is he doing? But now as an adult, and I look back and I, and I see a lot of that, like we said, ex- explicitly, no, he didn't say certain things. But I see how he modeled so many different things. And a lot of it, yes, of course, I went the opposite in, in, in a sense of like, mm, yeah, this isn't for me, but I still learned, right? I learned what not to do, or I learned how I wanted to raise my own children. And, and the same thing with my mom. So I, I'm wondering, how did you imagine your family um, when you were growing up? Like, what did you see for yourself and your family? Ah, uh, man, I, man, I saw... The the odd thing right now is I always wanted a big family. I don't know if that was because I felt like I, I had a disconnect between my siblings or if I was just living in that only child phase and just, didn't, just got tired of being by myself. But I always wanted, you know, at least three kids. I wanted a big family. Uh, I don't know if I would have said five for sure, but um, I, I wanted the, the, the stuff that we saw on TV, right? You, you go to the park, you yes. take the family vacations and you got the kid, um, you know, the dad throwing the kids up in the water and having fun in the pools and the camp out nights. Family all, I dinners. wanted all of that. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted yes. all of that barbecues. We go to the games. I wanted everything that I saw on TV. And because because I know how old you are and how you were raised, everything you saw on TV, with the exceptions of maybe Urkel, was white families. Yeah, I, and the so well, Cosby. I, I we had Cosby. We had Cosby. No, yeah, I was okay, going to say so we had Cosby. <laughs> yeah, so so this is another fun fact. My wife laughs at me all the time, partly because she's biracial, uh, but also. I don't remember actually watching a lot of white sitcoms growing up. Like I knew oh they God. were there. Oh my God! So who did who did you have? Like fill me in because legitimately, I it's hard to name. Like obviously, we had Family Matters, which was Urkel, mm-hmm. um, and that was a great family. And yep. even the way that they they brought Steve into their family, right? We yeah. didn't even meet Steve's family, but we knew Steve was a part of their family, and exactly. so that was super dope. <laughs> and obviously, like it is. 2021 and so talking about Cosby is a little sketchy but we did have the Cosby show which had a prominent black family successful black leaders in that family and so we had the Cosby show but I I just I just remember that there was a lot of growing pains right like growing pains um all of like those were those big shows and yeah unless you were black i'm not so sure everybody else was watching everything else right oh uh, yeah people listening to this definitely didn't watch it i'm sure <laughs> <laughs> uh, <hope> so. <laughs> they were man, missing out <laughs> man missing out so so yeah i guess i i guess i i guess i didn't watch that's the thing i didn't watch a ton like i knew what the brady bunch was but i never watched it um i remember roseanne coming on and i turned the channel oh, when it came on roseanne yes <laughs> So like I knew that those were on and were like coming up, but like you said, the Cosby's—that's what we watched. And so like while it is, you know, at this point, sketchy to talk about Bill for the show and what they modeled. That was what we watched, right? And Felicia Rashad was this beautiful black oh woman God, that such a held queen. it down, right? And so it was just like that's what you pay attention to. And then we had later like the sister to sister. Um, I I do remember watching Family Matters. Um, hold on, even- are you t- hold on a second? Are you talking about Tia and Tamara? Yeah. Okay. Well, we're gonna get the name accurate, sir. It's sister, sister, not sister to sister. Oh, my bad. My okay. Bad. What my you're bad. not gonna do is throw Tia and Tamara under the bus. My right bad. Now. <laughs> my bad. Hanging with Mr. Cooper. Oh, we did have hanging with Mr. Cooper. Man, come on. And then like back, like the older shows were like I remember. Um, what was it? Different Strokes, which my dad watched that. Yes. But we had strokes. Rock. Remember oh, Rock? Oh, Rock was so good. <laughs> so okay. Um. You know what's interesting to me, Jesse? Oof, this I, I say it every time we do this podcast. What's interesting to me is that um, prior to doing Black Story Month, right? I made sure I sat down with Nora and our, you know, our staff, and I was like, "Hey, we can talk about 
black pain because it's important for people to know, but we also have to talk about black joy, right? I Absolutely. Said, that's, that's so important to me. And here I am listening to you <laughs> tell me about all these beautiful black shows and it's like they disappeared from my mind. And I'm wondering if it's, you know, a little bit of, there's so much negativity, also a little bit of internal oppression. Like, because, you know, I'm going to call a spade a spade. I didn't remember And I used to watch rock religiously, Jesse, okay? I wanted rock to be my father, okay? So the fact that I forgot that even existed and here you are like, oh, no, no, I watched this and rock and hanging with Mr. Cooper and this and this. I'm like, wait a minute. What is happening? Mr. Cooper was dope. Mr. Cooper was so dope. So, so you, okay, so you saw these shows and you knew what, that's what you wanted for your family. You wanted these, this big family um, tell me more, tell me more. I just knew that um, with understanding that it was a possibility, right? And and I will say, so I, I wasn't that far, I guess, I guess to me, the shows wasn't that far away from reality because I, t- I tell people this too, what I saw growing up was my mother, uh, who to me was a regular person, um, sitting down with Mayor Sharon Sells Belton, right? First black mayor in the Minneapolis, first female mayor in Minneapolis. And so, like, to me, that was like powerful, right? Gary Suddeth, who ran the Urban League, um, all these different people who were like pillars in the community. They were coming they were, in like, and out of your house. Yeah, they like came <laughs> over the crib and we like they're eating collard greens. You know what I mean? Like, my mom was from the South, we cooked. And so, to me, that was normal. It was normal to see tons of black families showing up for family dinner on Sundays and you just chop it up and and everybody's at your house. Like I tell people all the time, we had a two bedroom house. We had a bedroom in the in the basement, but it wasn't technically a bedroom, but everybody always lived with me. So for me watching that, I wanted the family to be able to say, yo, we're going to have family dinners. And that's something that we even do now that we instituted um, from, a, it actually came out of like some some tragic stuff that happened, but being able to say, like, let me be intentional about creating community, about creating specific Black communities, especially here in Minnesota, mm-hmm. and then being intentional about making sure that we have these images in real life and in our books and on TV that show come on representation, our, right? That show our kid that show our kids this is possible. And so, I, I maybe I was like way ahead of my time in this. You were like, Jesse because I'm in awe. <laughs> I'm I'm legitimate. Like you know, I've known you pretty much my whole life, and you know, I'm I'm in I'm I don't do I don't like being envious, like but I I think about. Um, and I know you said it, it's tragic, right? Your mom died when you were 11 years old, but those 11 years were clearly so pivotal, right? Yeah. Yeah. What she instilled in you um, from the time you were born until you were 11 was game-changing. And I am a little envious, not not like obviously, I know loss is great and I'm so devastated for that loss, but to hear mm-hmm. what she gave you, Jesse, yeah. like to hear that and to understand that, you know, growing up in the hood, which, you know, mm-hmm. North Minneapolis and growing up the way that around what we did, you don't hear stories like yours often, Jesse. Right. You don't hear yeah. that people were having, you know, the mayor over uh, and, and yeah. you, were ha- you were exposed to all these things. And so me hearing your story is just like, hold up. Like, I've known you for how long? And hold up, you had the whole damn mayor at your house, Jesse? <laughs> like, well, well, because now I'm thinking, and, and my wife brought this, brought this up yesterday, because uh, she doesn't like going to the dentist. And I loved going to the dentist. We had the same dentist growing up. It was Dr. Williams, Dr. John Williams, who played for the Vikings. And he created um, a dentistry on the on the north side, right on West Broadway. And to me, seeing a black dude, I mean, he was a big black dude, but like seeing a black dude who was a dentist, that was so normal. And then when I would go outside, I think it was when, when I got to D in high school, that's when it was like, yeah, wait a minute, this isn't? All black? Hold on a second. I, it was a culture shock wow. to me for real. Even wow. even growing up, going to so again, my mom was super. I'm, I love that you're asking me these questions because I don't talk about it enough. My mom was so intentional about education. So I went to Ascension Catholic School, which to the to the uh, naked eye, a Catholic school in Minnesota. It's predominantly white. 
But Ascension was like 98% black. Yeah. We had a black principal. We had black teachers. We had I just, I, I, I can't, we lived in the same city. And I, like, what, what, what was happening? Like, how did I wind up at St. Elizabeth Seton <laughs> with just little old black me and Diana? <laughs> and I never understood why nobody else would, like, why everybody else went anywhere else. I was like, yo, what do you mean? Like, we always had one white girl, one Asian girl in our class, and everybody else was black. Oh my goodness! This is this. I'm like, I'm mind blown right now, Jesse. Like, I, I, I got, here's there's something to say about the fact that my mom was white passing, you know, and so mm-hmm. it probably was easier to move around in white spaces. You know, mm-hmm. she, she, you know, my mom, she literally passes. She 100 yeah. percent passes. She is a white lady walking down the street to anyone who sees her. My dad was a dark skinned black man, but you know, he was in and out, in and out. So mm-hmm. we were around a lot of white people we were around it just even when when we did have that dinner table thing it was my white matriarch grandmother who was pretty much racist herself okay Mm, so like we would go to her house but she had like very very um you know strict rules it we couldn't be ourselves at my grandma's house we had to make sure we were i mean it was very very militant strict you were not running through her halls you were not like the joy was not there we loved her food yeah (laughs) grandma could, could put down the food but it we never felt comfortable in the space and i never realized it as a kid but as i'm hearing you talk about so much joy in your in your black childhood and being around all these prominent black people i realized like just how lucky and blessed mm-hmm. you, you have been and also like well damn this is what i love about these conversations because i always felt like i was misunderstood when i didn't do that right and and not and unknowingly I had this expectation of, yo, it's supposed to be black. Like we're supposed to run the world. Deep. Like we're supposed, yeah, we're supposed to, do this. to be like we've we are created with excellence and all these yeah. things. But you you had that from the get go, and so many of us don't. Yeah. Yep. Okay, we need to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors, but we will be right back. Fancy meeting you here. Also known as FMYH is an ecosystem of support for creatives founded by Ashley Ochiaga that is centered around self-development and real talk. Ashley is a creative entrepreneur based in Northeast Minneapolis. She started FMYH because she believes in providing accountability, camaraderie, and constructive perspective for creatives as they work to build their vision. Rome wasn't built in a day. And if it was built today, those creatives would have gone to FMYH for advice and strategy. Sign up via Patreon to join the Virtual Conversation Club and Quarterly Support Group for Creatives. Space is limited to keep things intimate, so don't procrastinate. Seriously, it takes two minutes. Do yourself a favor and sign up now. You can find more info at fmyh.co. Yes, that's .co, not .com. And the link to sign up for the Virtual Conversation Club and Quarterly Support Group is in our show notes. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Talking with Jesse Ross about growing up black in North Minneapolis and what he learned and how he's taking all that knowledge to raise his kids. Let's get back into it. Tell me about your family now. I mean, I know, but tell our tell our helpers out there, what kind of dad are you? And I don't, here, here's the thing, Jesse. I don't want, this is not a space for you to be humble because I'm not asking <laughs> for you to be humble, okay? So if you were to take a visual uh, for, for those who are listening who've probably never seen most of those shows that we were naming, you can go watch them, first of all. Yes, uh, rock especially. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I like to, I, I would like to create the visual of I'm all of them combined in one, right? All the good stuff and all the bad stuff, right? So you, the most 
I would say the most formative um, father figure growing up was Uncle Phil. Like, oh my God, Uncle Phil! Right from the Fresh, Fresh Prince of Bel Air. For those of y'all who don't know who Uncle Phil is, <laughs> first things um, first, rest in peace, Uncle Phil. We're going to just say that, right? Yes. Right. And so what? What I loved about Uncle Phil was he took in Will. It was his nephew. It wasn't even his direct nephew, right? It was his wife's sister, and all these different dynamics. And he had got to this place where he did everything he was supposed to do to get his family up out of the hood. But he always tried to make sure that he stayed close enough um, and did everything right by, you know, and creating more space, right? So rewinding, <clears throat> I I love being a dad. I tell people that all the time. It, it's dang near in every intro and bio that I give. Uh, I have five kids, um, uh, 18 year old, Lord bless me. No, uh, I know, Jesse. 18 year old girl, um, a 15 year old son, a 14 year old son, a uh, 10 year old girl, and seven year old boy. So the, the two younger are from my previous marriage, and the three older are my wife's, and um, we just put our whole family together. So you are the big, blended, black, and beautiful. Uh, Brady Bunch. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. And and we just, and so my nephew, who was five, lived with us. Um, and at the time of this recording, he's back with us. And so I am, uh, I'm out here taking care of all types of people. We took in our nephew who um, is living with us now, right? It's my, my wife's sister's son and he's the only boy out of four. Because what I saw growing up was you take care of your own, right? If they're your people, they're your people. So I have five kids, six of you call my nephew, and I love every bit of it. They drive me crazy, but I love every bit of it. I have um, had to, when I just had my two younger, um, I we ended up getting, um, their mother and I ended up getting a divorce. I went through this very big ordeal. But the entire time, I wanted to make sure that my kids received everything that they were supposed to receive from their dad. And so while I'm going through this separation and this divorce, we just made it a, a routine. Every Friday or every other Friday, we would just get together. We'd get the kids together. Our kids are about the same age. And we just figure it out, right? And then we started inviting people. Clearly, this is pre-COVID. And it was just we just happened to look around and we're like, dang, everybody's black. Everybody's doing really well. And so as, you know, my wife and her family came in, that's just what we did. There was wow. nothing, it was nothing abnormal to me about taking in another woman's kids, right? And and I don't know if that is abnormal to other people. You know what's crazy? That's one thing, Jesse. That is one thing I think is really rooted in black culture. Yeah. Like we take people in. Yes, <laughs> like, always. I, there, and I think it goes way back to when families were separated. It's so crazy. So exactly. you know, I live yep. in DC, right? So I'm, I'm. You're giving me life with this because I live in DC. So I have had the privilege and the amazing opportunity to visit the Museum of African American History multiple times. Okay. And so, yeah, I'm jealous. I haven't been. Oh, yet. Jesse, it is. When I come, when, I know. When I go, I'm, I'm, go, I'm going to As, as a side note, they have an entire area dedicated to Prince, and I'm just going to leave it there for you, right there. Like just an entire beautiful <laughs> purple area. Just want to let you know that. So, anyways, I'm. You know, you start off on the bottom level, and you're, you're traveling kind of through slavery, and you know there are things that we have in our community that they're just cultural. Like, I never knew where they came from. I just know that that's what it is. For instance, black people claim black people. Um, if we say somebody is our brother, Jesse, how long have you been my brother? <laughs> <laughs> right, yep. Jesse has been yep. my brother since I was about 15 years old. So, exactly. Like, but I don't qualify that. If I'm talking to someone, I'm not like, oh, that's my play brother. I'm like, oh, that's my family. Like, because you are my family. You've been my family. And so... um, I'm I'm at the African American Museum and I'm looking at some of these artifacts and just these things and it talked about why black people call, you know, older black women auntie or why we're like, oh, that's my cousin or this and that. It's because families were completely ripped apart and you had to recreate your own family unit. Yep. And 
that is why it, historically black people are like, oh, what's up, auntie? Or like, I'll see an mm-hmm. older black lady on the street, Jesse, and I legit will be like, hi, auntie, how you doing? And I think it's in our DNA to literally take people in. Because yeah. my, my mom, we didn't have shit, Jesse, okay? We yep. didn't have mayors stopping by our house, okay? <laughs> like, <laughs> listen, okay? We didn't have none of that. But we for damn sure had everybody else's kids who were runaways, who needed a place to stay in the house. And that was a part of our upbringing, was if somebody needs a place to stay, they will be here. And that was was crazy to me. Yeah, well, and I think, like you said, if it's part of our culture, so you you only know what you know, right? And so for me, it was... I always wanted a big family, right? So I got mm-hmm. five kids, six got and you, got my nephew. Got your big family. Right. And and I have, uh, I keep saying I love being a dad because it's taught me so much, right? It's taught me um, a, a how to show emotion when I wasn't taught how to show emotion. It's taught me how to slow down because I genuinely am a more results-oriented person. Um, even now, I mean, I would even say in the last year or two, I have tried my hardest to unlearn, like just yelling and raising my voice because that's what I saw my dad do. Again, oh my God, he's Jesse. from the military, and I so know. they talk loud. It's this is to drive home a point. Are you paying attention? The alertness, like all of the and, good stuff and it's, that it and teaches it's safety you. Also, with us, yeah. like it's rooted in us to want our children to be safe. I was at the doctor yesterday with Marley, and I kid you not, I literally said to the doctor, I said, "Listen." I'm trying to be a different parent than my parents were, mm-hmm. right? I'm trying not to scream at her because she has these big, crazy-ass nine-year-old emotions, mm-hmm. right? She's a highly sensitive person. And there are some days, Jesse, like even me being the empath, highly sensitive person that I am, I've been stuck in the house for over a year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, we've yep. been here for a very long time. We are Our kids are all up under us. They have been traumatized, so they, they're a little more clingy than usual. Mm-hmm. And I told the doctor, I said, there are some times that I want to be like, get the hell out out my face. Yep. But I know how that made me feel as a child because yes. it actually was said to me, right? And I remember yes. how awful it felt. And so instead of saying, get the hell out of my face, I, you know, I, I calm down. I sit, I look, I get on their level. I say, hey, baby, you know, I'm in, I, mommy is just tired today and yeah. I just need a little bit of space. But it is hard to not repeat the shit we were taught. Yeah. It oh, is ridiculous. so hard to break those habits and everything that we know. And it's difficult because, you know, here, here's what it comes down to, Jesse. We both did turn out okay, right? Right, right. We both right. turned so out it, okay. So it worked. <laughs> it, right. it worked. And so maybe it wasn't the right way, but it worked. And some days I'm like, well, damn it, it worked. Can I just beat them just a little bit? <laughs> Right. No, I, I don't. Let me just be clear. I don't yep, recommend yep. beating your kids, but I will say a lot of us were beat. Well, and so, well here, hey, let me jump on that, though. Yes, here, go ahead. While I don't recommend beating their your kids, right, ab- yes. abusing, I do think there is something about discipline, however you choose to discipline your own house. I was just telling, um, me and Tyler talk about everything. Somebody said, uh, she was talking about how um, we we joke and this is very jokingly because I've also learned from you in particular, um, but people in my life who are more sensitive than I am, I've learned to be more sensitive. And Aww. so I've had to tap into that. I've had to pay attention to that. Sometimes when y'all would get on and I tell you and or y'all would just be sharing stuff and I'd be like, yo, shut up. Golly, you just telling everybody your business. And I, I don't. know. And you would hate it, but you, but, but you understand that now that there is some power in vulnerability. Oh, for sure. And I never, no, I never doubted that. I mm-hmm. never wanted people to, because the other side of it is, is ugly when, as hell. And then when people like, so you're drained or when people come after you and then I want to come after them. <laughs> I'm not. And so, so I was, <laughs> I was telling, I was telling my wife, she was like, man, well, we teach our kids. So basically my nephew who is five, but he looks like he's eight. And oh, Jesse man. is seven, and he looks like he's five, right? He's a smaller kid. That's how I was until my sophomore year. Um, so he like kicked him on accident, and so she basically he came upstairs looking for us to do something, and we were like, oh, "Okay, go back downstairs. <laughs> like work take, it a, out. take a minute, right? Mm-hmm. Work it out." And so she said in a in the most loving mothering voice, right? Mm-hmm. <sighs> Sometimes I think we teach our kids they're too nice, and I was like, "No, no." Everybody else may think that that we teach our kids too nice, but I don't. Um, now, for context, my two younger kids have two have three moms, right? They have my wife, and then their birth mom, and then her wife. So 
there 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 are a lot of female influences in their life, but I'm also not very. I'm just naturally not passive, and I'm also not a uh, anti-bullying. Like I'm not for bullying, but I also don't do bullying talks because I believe in violence. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> I firmly believe not in turning the other cheek. When Toby made the song "Try Jesus, Not Me," Thank that you. was literally for me because I have always preached, "Hey, listen, while I love Jesus and I'm a very spiritual person, don't if come you for me. Come over here." It's gonna be one, and if you and if you see me on the news, and I tell people this all the time, everybody will believe the story because it was very true. It was very true and very clear what I said I would and would not do for the people around me. So, um, but I'm not saying you need to abuse your kids. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is I think there's something in discipline, and however you decide in your household how you discipline people, and so I have or well, people Jesse- in your kids. <laughs> Roblox isn't working. Taking away Roblox isn't working. So can I like sucker punch them every now and then? Listen, man. <laughs> sometimes Jesse, it's hard. I, here, listen. Here's the deal. Okay, I, I, I'm, I am a little bit on the other side of the spectrum with you, and I, I, mm-hmm. and I love that we can have this conversation, right? And I'll tell you mm-hmm. why, though. My dad was very abusive. It For was sure. not a. It was not a. Um, and and to be clear, I want everyone to know, I love my father. He is not here, but I loved everything about him. And yep. and what I mean by that is I am the person I am because of some of those ass whoopings. And, exactly. <laughs> and, right. and it's not that I deserved them or wanted them, but I know how much that man molded me. And so it's not to be confused with like, oh, he was yeah. abusive and I couldn't stand him. And that's important, right? Absolutely I, right. I loved I loved that man very much, but he was very I mean, he he if some and he didn't believe us sometimes, which I yep. hated. He didn't believe us. Like if a white neighbor would come over and say we did something and it literally wasn't us, Jesse. Yeah. Yep. He would believe yep the white neighbor and that shit stuck with me that he didn't believe us and so um that has been one of the biggest challenges for me and so i i know we have talked a lot about you know so much joy and like your upbringing and and so now i'm I'm gonna switch it a little bit because i i need to know and i'm i I don't need to know but i think people listening need to know right Mm -hmm. that I see, we can hear the type of father you are. We've made a lot of jokes. We've said a lot of serious things, but it is evident the type of father you are. Mm-hmm. What has been the biggest challenge of parenting for you? Yeah, the biggest challenge um, is being a 35-year-old Black man mm. in in the United States, uh, specifically here in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and not knowing that I that not guaranteeing that I can make it home. That's that is the one specific difficulty that I have every single day that I live with every single day. It doesn't matter if I'm running at four. It doesn't matter if I'm uh, going to church. It doesn't matter if I'm playing outside with my kid. It does not matter what the circumstance or the situation is. If You're I'm still going. Black. Yeah, I'm still black. I'm still in Minnesota and I'm still a threat. It doesn't matter if I have a suit on or if I have a hoodie on. And that is the most difficult thing about being a parent to black babies. I think that a lot of um, non-minorities, I think it's specifically white people, I think they really don't understand that the talk is a real thing. Yeah. You know, the, the talk happens in black families. I I have five brothers, Jesse. You know the talk happened. Listen, yep. the police and and this is the 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 craziest part to me is so often we see in the comment sections and again, never read the damn comments, but occasionally you yeah. slide in there cuz cuz we take some missteps. But one of the things I've noticed is, you know, all of these very loud and wrong white voices who say things like Oh, you should have just followed the rules. When they do not understand, we have literally sat down with our parents and been told different sets of rules. Do yeah. not do this. Do not do that. You will die. You will like. You will die. Our our parents have yeah. said to us, "You will not walk away from this." With an like, and yeah. so to to see white people tell us what our parents have told us our whole damn lives, like yeah. it doesn't work, friends. Like, no, no, it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't work. work. Um, do you think your children are safe? I wrestle with that question. Um, in the general sense, no. Um, I don't think that they are... Se- in the general sense, no. Because no matter what 
situation I try to create for them, they they are still black in America. Uh, I say yes because because you're I, their father. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I know Jesse because yeah, you're their well, father. Well, well here, the, the context of that right is um, they attend private school right now, and so. Um, all of them except uh, my nephew, and, and he might, depending on what you know, how long he's with us. Right. Um, so I'm creating environments to allow them to have more safety. It doesn't mean that they are going to be protected, but I'm creating environments to help them understand how to move in different worlds, right? And so they go to private school. They and we're in Minnesota, so even though we attend the highest diversity. Uh, Catholic or private school out there, it's still predominantly white. And then they come back to, you know, North Minneapolis and when with their mom, they're in South Minneapolis. So they're getting different uh, dynamics and geographically of what Diversity. their neighbors look like mm-hmm. and who they're around. But still, you're black no matter where you go, right? And so I create these spaces to allow them to know and to become aware of what happens, what should happen, and kind of training them to be aware and know, hey, so my my older boys, which we've had this talk, right? They get frustrated when I'm like, yo, stop walking around with your hat with your hat on. Stop walking around with your with your hood on in the house in general. But when you hear a Trayvon Martin story and it's like, what can you do? Hey, son, can you not have your hat on when you're with a group of your friends just to make sure that you don't look like this? Yeah, um, and, and it sucks, I- right? Like, it sucks to have to be the parent that says, hey, when you're walking outside, I'm going to need you not to have your hoodie on, even if it's cold outside. Right? Exactly, right. It sucks to have to do that. And some days I think I struggle, Jesse, because I don't want to have to tell my kids Hey, speak a certain way. Right. Behave this certain way. I want to tell other people, stop being so damn racist and killing us. Right? But here's the deal. There's still going to be some racist and they're still going to be killing us. So I have to tell my kids, hey, there's a game out here and we will lose. And when we lose in this game, we die. So this is how we have to navigate this game and we have to be very strategic about it. It doesn't mean that we're giving in. It means that we're surviving. Right. And that's right. the that's the name of the game, right? You Survival. when you play a game, it's like, oh man, you lose a life, you you come back. No, not in this one we not don't. Not in this one we don't. In this one we don't. So if we make it to the end of the of the round, good good job. Next, now let's gear up. Let's let's right. re up. Now, I'm going to take you back and I understand that this might be triggering and so I I want to name that you know, I've been on outside of looking in, born and raised in Minneapolis, Minnesota, Miss Minnesota 2007. So like my heart and I bleed purple, you know, so I get it. But I wasn't there when they murdered George Floyd. Mm-hmm. You were. Yeah. What did you tell your kids last summer when George Floyd was murdered? Oh, man, that's a great question. That was good. So the when it was happening... Like, literally, I, I tracked down the moment, like the hours of, of when it was going down. I was in, get this, I was in Independence, Minnesota. Oh, of course you were. <laughs> of course I was, right? Isn't it ironic? <laughs> Don't you think? <laughs> oh, man. And and talking about uh, Memorial Day and why white people uh, memorialize Memorial Day and why it's different for black and brown folks. And then as I'm driving home, I just happen to, you know, I'm, I'm looking at my phone while I'm driving. Yes, sue me, come after me, whatever. Uh, I walk in the house and I'm like, yo, wait, what was this? This was like 10 minutes ago. Like down the house, down the street from the house. Down the street, right. 10 miles away from my house. And I'm like, oh my God, wow. So the conversation that I had with them the next day um, was, hey, need to sit everybody down. Want you to know what happened. Um, told him what happened. And the the saddest part, this is the craziest part, the saddest part about their response was they weren't shocked. Of course they weren't. And that is right. so awful. So awful. So their questions were, oh, well, what did they say he did? You know, why? what what was the reason why they killed him? And, and I was like, I don't know. Well, there was a reason clearly why they stopped and they thought he was doing something. And once, you know, the more information came out, it was just like, well, I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't, were there people watching? Nobody stopped him. And I had to under, I had to be honest about in that moment. And this is, that, that was another turning point for me because 
as a parent of black children, your job is to do everything in to your power to, them. to get home to them. But if I were there that you would day, have intervened. And I probably would have ended up in the same. And that's the like risk. So for listeners, you'll never really understand what that means. Even if you are married um, or a significant other to a black and brown person, right? You'll never fully actually understand what that feeling is like because there is no win. No, there isn't. And you're so right, Jesse, because, you know, in talking to the girls, right, my my goal in life is to be here as long as possible for them, right? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to 162. That's my L- number. Listen, listen, okay? <laughs> I want to be the old, 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 great, great grandma, black lady sitting on the porch telling mm-hmm. all types of stories. Like, I want that for my kids and my grandkids. You hit the nail on the head when you said, like, even if you marry a black person, even if you have black family members, even if my best friend in the world, you know her, my best friend mm-hmm. in the world is a woman who is white. Again, mm-hmm. not to be confused with a white woman, but she is a woman who's white and she has known me since I was a child. I was about 12 years old when I met her. I'll be 36. I'm mm-hmm. 36 years old. And there are moments in my life that even though I have someone who is so close to me that I refer to as my person that I love so deeply, she cannot understand certain things. Yeah. And it's it's point blank period. She doesn't even she and she here's the here's the beauty in it. She knows she can't, and so that's why she's still around right. because it's the people who continuously think they can understand. You yep. can you can empathize, you yep. can you can feel compassion, but you will never understand what it feels like as a black person to watch someone who looks like you suffocate to death under someone's knee. You will never understand what it looks like to watch white people, um, white terrorists. Yeah. Cr- in an insurrection at the Capitol. Because when I watched it, Jesse, all I saw was dead black bodies. Because I, oh, yeah. I thought to myself, if any of these people were black, yep. Absolutely. this would be a problem, right? The last episode, we talked to a woman named Tanisha, and we talked a lot about microaggressions, okay? Mm-hmm. And it got to the point where I said, hmm, I'm going to ask you something, and here's the deal. I already know the answer, but I think that white people need to hear it. Okay. Mm. I asked Tanisha, would she ever change being black? What do you think Tanisha said? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And I'm going to ask you the same question, Jesse. Even with the struggle, even in watching Tamir Rice being gunned down in seconds, even Mm. watching what happened to Trayvon Martin, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, would you ever give it up if you had the opportunity? Absolutely not. And tell me why. It would go against everything that I was created to be. Um, my my mother, I was the I was the kid who had to do Black History Month projects when it wasn't Black History Month, right? <laughs> All year round. <laughs> You've so, always so, known your black is beautiful. Yeah. So somebody asked me um, on one of the uh, the this is a white woman's call, not a woman who are white. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, understood. <laughs> Uh, she asked me on one of the calls, she said, you know, who are people that, you know, who are your favorites or something like that? And I was like, favorites? What? I don't, I was like, I didn't grow up in the, you know, we only talk about Martin Luther King or Malcolm X or Rosa Parks. Mm -mm. Like I knew Mm -hmm. all these folks that Ruby Bridges and the Phyllis Wheelies and all these folks that people don't even bother touching. Right. Um, and so it would go against Everything that I was created to do, I genuinely believe without a shadow of a doubt, unequivocally, that I was born to be in this black body, to have this black beard and to have these black kids and and my black wife, who is white passing every now and then, <laughs> um, to have that and to be exactly who I am in every I single room. I know that's room. right. Yes. So a, a young man asked me last night, he said, yo, how how... And you you could tell the like curiosity, but the pain. He said, how have you managed to get this far? And he's only 31. So I'm like, yo, you're not that far away from me, right? How have you managed to get this far and you can show up in a room and you just be you? I said, a lot of therapy, Mm -hmm. a lot of history, a lot of personal development, but I just understand what my values are. My, My values are integrity transparency and relationships. I can't be in relationship with you. I can't be real. That that part. I can't be myself if I can't be real. I can't 
be be myself or be in relationship without being transparent. I'm a very direct communicator, and everybody who knows me knows that. And I don't really take any mess from anybody. And I've always wanted to be the person who does what they say they're going to do. Amen. So if I were to give up me being black, that would mean I would go against all of that. And I wouldn't be the person that I am. And so I'm like, no, if, if that's worth, that's what it's worth. No, there, there's always a trade-off. No, absolutely not. I love that you had like, a, I'm going to call it a head start um, because clearly your mom um, was a queen, <laughs> mm-hmm. a whole queen, right? And I love that you had a head start because so many of us don't have that, that early start that you had, you know, those, that sitcom type of big, you know, dinners and stuff like that. And so for you to have that is so beautiful and for you to pass it on to your kids and also delete some things that didn't work for you Mm -hmm. and add some things that weren't there for you is such a beautiful thing. And I think that that's, you know, Jesse, I didn't have that. It it took me um, until after 30 to really align myself in places of safety. And what I mean by that is I have taken many a job that I have Mm -hmm. had to shut the hell up, um, towards racism, sexism, much of the isms. And I've had to shut up and take it because I was the breadwinner or because I was going to this and that. Now, 36-year-old me, you couldn't tell me anything. And not in a disrespectful Mm -hmm. way, but like you said, I know exactly who I am now. I know my worth. I know my values. And if you are not in alignment with that, I won't be a part of whatever you got going on. Period. Yeah. And even even if that is a relationship, if I've had a relationship for 20 years, but you show me now, that you are not going to protect me, and what I mean is protect black me in yeah. any capacity, then you you no longer can be around black me because I have to be safe. And by extension, my children have to be safe. Mm-hmm. And that's what it comes down to me. And when we're thinking about our kids and we're thinking about other kids, because our kids come in contact with other mm-hmm. people's kids, how do or how should white parents raise anti-racist children? What message do you have for them to help their kids protect our kids? And so that all of our, because here's the thing, what I think people don't realize is when you teach your children to be anti-racist, you are teaching your children to be better people. It's not just about the black kids. Your anti-racist child is going to be such a better person because of this. So yeah. how do you or how should white parents raise anti-racist children? How do our helpers that are listening with, um, you know, peach babies, as my children call them, <laughs> um, <laughs> the little peach kids, how, how do our, our, our peach helpers help their peach children? I love that. I mean, they do. That. They call them PJ. Della and Marley. Um, well, my, uh, she said, Mom, I got black girl magic, right? I said, yeah. She goes, well, does my friend got black girl magic? I said, no, baby. And she said, well, what does she have? I said, uh, she goes, peach girl magic. I said, yeah, she can have that. <laughs> she can that. have the peach girl magic. Okay, yeah, so how okay. how and how do you, um, what do you say to parents who want to raise anti-racist children? Yep, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to frame it up in these three uh, words that I use around questions because I asked a ton of questions, right? Roll, goal, soul. And so if anybody who's listening to this has been on any still kicking call or any any call that I've done, I talk about this all the time. Uh, what is your role, right? I'm a, I'm a father, I'm a community mem- member, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a, a husband. Um, but what is your role um, in creating communities that you will be proud of? So if you're thinking about how to raise your anti-racist kids or how to raise your kids to be anti-racist, right? You have to understand what your role is. It's your job. I'll say that again. It is your job to instill in them the policies, the practices, the procedures, and the behaviors, the skills that they need in order to be successful adults. So why would you avoid creating opportunities for them to connect with other children, families, experiences of color so that they can be productive citizens. Amen. That's the first thing. (laughs) And the other thing is, Jesse, if we're really thinking about this, when we're talking about if you're going to raise anti-racist kids, you also have to be very mindful that you're going to have to unlearn some of your own shit too. Exactly, right. So the the second question is, what is your goal, right? So if your goal is to raise anti-racist kids or to create an environment that is different than them, um, the second, the question I ask behind that question is like, what will be better or different because you exist? And so if you are here on this earth and now that you know, you have no excuse, what will be better or different because 
you know this information. What would be better or different because you exist? What When you know better, do better. Exactly, right? And so people take that lightly, um, and I don't. And I tell people, so now that you know, there's no excuse. So when I call you on your BS, or when I tell you that was stupid and you shouldn't have did it because you already know you shouldn't have did it because I told you last week on the call... <laughs> Then don't, you know, I told you I'm direct. I'm very transparent. So like, I don't want to hear that. Um, So again, what would be better or different because you exist? You have the opportunity, create something that's going to be better. And then the third one is always, I ask the question, how is your soul? But you just shared the point that I try to make. Everything that you do as pertaining to parents, as pertaining to being a good citizen, as pertaining to being a good human should be done in alignment with your values. Mm. But most people, right. But most people don't know what their values are. And that's difficult. If you don't know what your values are, you're going to be in misalignment all the damn time. Exactly. So now that leads to the next part. You have to actually do some work, which we've told you multiple times. Yes. But figure out what are your values? I just told you mine. Danielle just told you hers. And there are probably people around you that could share. I don't care if you just start with a set or you start with one and then it evolves, but you cannot say that you want to create a anti-racist uh, child or environment or household or lifestyle, but you don't know what you're committed to. Mm. You don't know where your line is. And so I'm telling whoever is listening to this, the line that I draw and that we draw, right? And I, 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 in, in this instance, I'm going to speak for most black people, right? Yes, the collective we at the moment. If mm-hmm. you are not for us, then you are against us. Absolutely. Period. Period. <laughs> That's it. Like, if you're not for us, you're against us. And the way that we know that you are for us is it's not just showing up at a protest. It's not just sending a text. It's, it's not by- just a black square on Instagram. Oh, oh don't get me started. I know. <laughs> it's actually doing your own work, unlearning, learning, and then admitting, you know what? I don't even know what the hell I'm doing, but I know that I can't do that, right? We both mm-hmm. talked about earlier our childhoods, we saw a bunch of stuff that we were not supposed to do. Mm-hmm. We didn't know exactly what to do. But, but we knew we, what not we, to do. We were not ignorant on what not to do. You are not ignorant. I know that. If you're listening to this podcast, if you are somewhat connected to either one of us as personalities, as social media folks, or even Nora, mm-hmm. you're not ignorant. You're not, because you're clearly seeking out ways to be better. Exactly. So therefore... It is your responsibility to understand what your values are. And then you do, you literally, and I mean this in the most literal sense ever, you spend every freaking second of your life proving and doing what you say are your values. If Mm. anti-racism is a value of yours, then that's what you should spend the rest of your life doing in every way, personally, professionally, educationally, in your kid, in your parenting, in your spousal uh, relationships, in how you show up at work, in how you drive your car, in what you read. I could run down the list. You can't. And where you spend your money. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, I mean, literally. Where, where all you of spend that. your money. Because one of the biggest things is if you are not investing in black people, there is a huge generational wealth gap here, people. Like, you can help. Yeah. Who are you that hiring? Who are you hiring? I was, hiring? Ta- I was talking to a company in? today, and this was the dopest thing I've ever heard anybody say. And I wasn't that impressed until now. They were like, yo, we... And this wasn't performative. They were like, we believe in your perspectives. We know that we have some gaps, but we know that you don't even know us. We want you to charge us whatever you charge to take time to understand our business mm-hmm. and tell us where the gaps are. Now, I wasn't like, like, oh my God, this is great. What I'm thinking of is, man, if I can do this one opportunity, how many other opportunities can I open up the door for people, right? Yep. So if you're going to spend money or if you are in charge of anything, and, all, and everybody is, right? It might be the dang on three dogs that you walk. Yeah. <laughs> You're in charge of something, so you need to make sure that you are thinking consistently about how to change that space, how to leverage your power and your access and your privilege, because we all have it, for creating those spaces where you can create something anti-racist. The other thing is, is if you're seeking something out and you're asking your people and your people 
are only around other white people, they're not going to give you a list of a diverse list of people you can choose from. So if you're asking from recommendations from all your white friends and you get a list of, let's say, um, midwives and all of your midwives are white, yes, if you are anti-racist, it is at least your job to seek out some people of color to at least give them the opportunity. Now, if the, the you don't click with the person or right. if their ideology or their mentality is not what you want in, in your birthplace, that's one thing. But to get an entire list of midwives and they're all white and not think to yourself, hmm, I mm. know there are some black midwives. I know there are some Latinx midwives. Let me at least look and, and try to benefit this. You know, you're not doing the work well enough. Yeah. Well, and, and let me let me let me go at this excuse that people will throw in. Well, I live in a very all white town. Okay, but isn't there some people around the next town? <laughs> that, <laughs> right? that part, like you, if you're gonna be anti racist and if you're gonna show up to this fight, we're all trying to be in and be committed to. Maybe you're gonna have to drive a little longer. Yeah, that's that's the thing. And they got again, Venmo. We're not saying every, like, it doesn't have to be every single area, but you got to start somewhere. So, like, I tell people all the time, my therapist is an old white guy. I love him (laughs) to death. (laughs) That's Mark is my man, right? And Mm -hmm. so while it would be very beneficial for me, I'm sure, to have a black therapist, my man is good. I'm rocking with him, right? I, right? I'm not like like we have an established relationship over seven years. That's something I'm not willing to just now. If once he retires, I got you. But like at this Completely. moment, me and Mark, we rocking. That's my guy. But there are plenty of other areas that I can make sure that I'm uh, being very aware, right? And so when people come and say, "Well, aren't you just like aren't you just?" and I'm like, "Listen, first of all, don't ever try to ch- come for me in my report right. card because right. you have no idea the stuff that I don't talk about where I'm always invested. I stopped giving to my church because I wanted to invest in a in a a, a black female leader, and that's mm-hmm. where the money I put because I believe for me that God honors that just the same as he honors me doing something else for that you know, that church. Now, I, I, I did continue giving back to the church, but... Of course you did, because that's who you are. I know. I know. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I think I think you you hit it. Like, people have to really uh, take an audit of where you are spending your time, your yes, talent, and your and treasure. That's, and that's what, it is. that's what it is, Jesse. It's not just about money. Investing isn't always about money. It's about your time. It's about your energy. It's about all those things. Jesse and I had different upbringings, but one thing that was clear was that family means everything to us. And it's not just biological, it's your chosen family, it's whatever. Family is who you call family, especially if you're black. (laughs) Black people claim everybody. Internet aunties and uncles, all of it. But family is important. And if you really wanna know somebody, you do have to understand where they came from, what they've been through, and how that shapes them. And so that's why that I don't see color thing does it really work? Because if you don't see color, then you don't see me. And a big part of me is my color and my family. These things are so important. You have to see me, see my culture, see my people, see the way that I was raised, see what's important to the people that look like me, to fully understand me. It's so important. Another thing we talked about that we'll never get old talking about is the importance of representation. Say it with me, representation matters. Both what we see on TV, what we see around us. I learned a lot about how to raise my kids by what my dad did and (laughs) by what my dad didn't do. I love my dad, may he rest in peace. I miss him every day. But I also learned a lot about it from watching black moms on TV, right? And I don't know if I'm getting it right, but I do know one thing. I have to think about the safety of my kids all the time. And if I were to ask a white parent what the hardest thing about parenting is, I don't think that they would say that they fear for the lives of their children every single time they leave the house. Maybe they do, but probably not for the same reasons. But my biggest fears and Jesse's biggest fears, it's our kids not coming home or us not coming home to be with our kids. How is it that we live in a society 
where Black parents have to not only worry about raising their kids, protecting their kids, saving their kids, but we got to add on, maybe we might not come home to them. I don't think I need to tell you this because I'm sure after listening, you realize we got to do better. All of us. We all have to be held accountable because I dream of a world where I don't have to sit my kids down and have the police talk with them. Have the safety talk with them. Now I'm still have that talk right now, but I am going to dream of that world. A world where Della and Marley's kids don't have to have that talk. A world where Della and Marley's kids don't understand some of the things that we've been through because they've never experienced it. Now we can tell them about it, but I pray for a day that they say, oh, I'm so sorry you went through that, but have no idea what I'm talking about because the world's a better place now. I don't know if it's gonna happen. I don't know if I'm gonna see it in my lifetime, but I pray for it. For my kids, for Jesse's kids, for your kids, whether they be black, brown, peach, I don't care. All of our kids are going to be better because of these changes. I want to thank Jesse for his time. If you like this, by the way, Jesse has done several sessions on anti-racism, which we'll link in our show notes. And you should check those out. They're phenomenal. Keep unlearning, keep being anti-racist, and Jesse can help you along the way. You should also follow him on Instagram, at Mr. J. Ross. Check out his morning minute. It's really inspiring and fantastic. And of course, you should follow us on Instagram. That's right. We got our own little new Instagram account. We are excited about it. At H-A-H-O podcast. Help a human out podcast. Get it? And as always, this conversation continues in the Still Kicking Club, an online group dedicated to building a safer and braver world, one person at a time. Plus, if you donate to the show, you'll get added to a secret page. Ooh, you like that? Where you can chat with our team about each episode. This has been another episode of Help a Human Out. I'm your host, Miss Danielle. Our executive producer is Nora McInerney. Our associate producer is Emma Martins. Our audio production is done by Red Rock Music, and you can learn more and donate at stillkicking.co slash podcast. We'll be back next week with part four of Black Story Month. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.